Welcome, welcome, welcome. How's everybody doing? Hope you are doing well. My name is Andrew Kuhn, Focus Compounding, the number one value investing podcast in the world, sitting next to Jeff Gannon. How's it going today? Uh, it's going very well, Andrew. How's it going? It's going great. We hope it's going great for everybody else. Hey, if this is the first time you're tuning in, hit that subscribe button both on YouTube and the iTunes side of things that helps spread the word. For a long time, we were saying, give us a rating review. And then we did some due diligence and we learned that hitting the follow or subscribe button is actually the best for us to get the word out. Um, so if you want to help support us, that goes a very long way. And we're definitely very thankful for that. So in today's podcast, we're going to be talking about credit conditions. And this is something that's been on probably every investor's mind lately, just because of everything going on with you know stimulus and the Fed and interest rates, um, and we're going to talk about how it relates to you know the stock market and more importantly the stock picker. Okay, um, interest rates are pretty much near negative, right? Very yeah. close, and they actually J uh, the Fed chairman is testifying now, and I saw a little bit, I guess you could say, that he said that they have decided that actually negative interest rates would not be good for the United States. So assuming that's mm -hmm. true when we're recording this, maybe that's out of the question, at least for now. Um, but, you know, I mean, how does the investor sort of handicap? I mean, look at Berkshire Hathaway, for example. Right. Free money is basically everywhere. Mm -hmm. Everything's backstopped. Everything happens so quickly. Who's going to go to Berkshire Hathaway? you know, for like capital. Right. And that's why Berkshire wasn't able to buy stuff. They said that they had a moment there in uh, well, maybe like the third week of March or whatever. Yeah. Um, and that was because of credit conditions. Mm -hmm. So like in my experience, although people look for a lot of different, um, uh, a lot of different uh, things to, in terms of uh, uh, explanations for why the stock market does what it does. Yeah. The biggest, the best explanation often for the reaction is, is not, um, reacting on the anticipation of some news or something that is the explanation given, but simply credit conditions. Okay. Um, that if credit conditions, if you had the same situation that happened uh, now uh, over the past few months, uh, the market would end up very differently if the Fed had not done anything uh, starting uh, several months ago. Uh, and the reaction is largely a reaction to credit condition stuff, and that has a very big impact on the market. Um, and there's lots of explanations that people give for it, because then once the market's going up or a market's going down, either one, um, then like that feeds into it and they start telling stories about why they think that's happening and everything. When in some cases it's just people needing to liquidate and stuff or the reverse, people having plenty of liquidity and not mm -hmm. needing to do any of that. Yeah. Because a lot of people, I mean, there's a famous quote out there by Drunken Miller pretty much saying, follow the liquidity. This whole idea of mm -hmm. don't fight the Fed, follow the liquidity. A lot of people think this current market rally or whatever has been due to enormous amounts of liquidity in the market. So... I mean, just how does the investor handicap that? Like, do you truly believe in the whole don't fight the Fed like mantra? And, you know, like back in the, the depression, for example, yeah. was the Fed as instrumental in the markets and doing everything that they're doing now that they were back then? Uh, no. And is that why it's wrong? You know, when Buffett goes out and talks about the depression, is that kind of comparing apples to elephants in a way? Uh. The Fed wasn't as instrumental in things. The, the Fed already existed at the time of the Depression, and the purpose that it was supposed to serve is to stop a financial panic. Yes. Um, and there's a financial panic, and that <laughs> resulted in a depression. Um, so, and then the next time, the, there not next time, but yeah, yeah, pretty much the next time, there were significant problems and stuff, um, which is when the U.S. went off of a... a, a 
a monetary system in which, in theory, there was some connection between the dollar and various currencies and gold in some way, uh, in theory, uh, though not really in practice anymore. Um, when they actually went off of that, uh, then you had rampant inflation and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it, you, it does not happen the same way each time. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, basically, they stayed on the gold standard one time. I mean, eventually, they went off of it. But in, if you're talking about 1929 and stuff, they stayed on a fixed standard. And then 40 years later, they um, went off of it. So you had one time uh, depression, and then the next time you had inflation. Mm-hmm. So why does it matter to an investor, though? Well, it matters a lot to the investor for a few reasons. One, uh, confusing credit conditions with uh, economic conditions um, is very serious. So the, the worst thing that it, so in general, the way you lose a lot of money in the stock market is by buying a bad business during times of loose credit, overwhelmingly. That's how people lose a lot of money. So you buy a marginal business, you buy something that isn't really much of a business and stuff, and you buy it during loose credit. Almost no one will do that during times of tight credit. So it's not a problem. So like in um, the 20s and stuff, if you're talking about periods from like 26 to 29 or something, that's when it would have been a problem for Mm -hmm. people buying worse and worse things then. Uh, In the 1990s and stuff, there would have been problems. One tricky part is when we talk about credit conditions and stuff, I do want to point out that it's not an issue of how high or low interest rates are. Um, at times, credit can be very difficult to obtain when theoretically interest rates are incredibly low. Um, but it may be that no one wants them or that the people who want them, the firms that want them, are not um, uh, good enough credit risks to be able to get them. Uh, so that does happen a lot. So what do you mean by that then? Is it like the bank's willingness to, yes. to extend so we've, money? We've talked about it before. It's very important when we talk about credit conditions and stuff. The Fed does not set credit conditions. Mm-hmm. Uh, even something like saying in- negative interest rates are not appropriate for the United States. Well, the Fed doesn't set all interest rates all the way along the curve at all you know, things. So it can't avoid a moment of negative interest rates necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, but credit is something that Gen- well, a good example is we can talk about the payroll protection uh, stuff and all sure, that, right? Yeah. So that's a good example. Um, the Fed can't directly deposit money in all sorts of people's accounts. Many people don't have accounts. And um, many firms don't have banking relationships existing already. So the Fed could very quickly uh, do things to, if you want to call it bailout, provide tons of liquidity to huge firms. But it can't to very small firms. Mm-hmm. And that actually is like the 30s. That is a problem. That very small firms, it's very hard to get the money. Um, and that's true now. I, I don't know how people know how to bail out a individual one person running a nail salon or a barbershop or a restaurant or whatever. And, and that's generally so when you have a credit crisis, what you're supposed to do, you're supposed to lend inc- a lot, lend very freely to those borrowers who are in most desperate need for it, who would otherwise start acting in a depression mindset, liquidating things and stuff. Mm-hmm. So if you have a problem in like housing or something, what theoretically you should do is not lower interest rates across the entire economy and stuff. What you should do is lend huge amounts of money to homeowners who otherwise will um, try to sell their homes or will be evicted or things like that. It's very hard to do though. Mm -hmm. So historically it's been much easier to do it in certain other ways, which has effects like making stock markets go up, whether you wanted it to do that or not, just because that's a faster place for the money to get in. When we talk about inflation and stuff like that, same thing. What happens is it affects different parts of the economy differently because of the speed at which it can get into those things and to some extent the willingness and stuff. So you have stock markets go up 
or treasury markets and things like that respond immediately to something that you're doing when that wasn't your intent. Like say you wanted to have an effect on car markets or uh, housing markets or something. It's much tougher to do that um, because it'll have an effect that's much slower versus what you're doing and much less necessarily that you can guarantee it will happen versus things that happen in the markets that we focus on. So I think a lot of times people think the intention is to affect the financial markets when that's not necessarily what the intention was and not what they were going for. Okay. So then in this period of loose credit though, right, right, which we're in by the way, how does the investor make money? Right. So the, the first thing is you have to avoid is that it's you could lose a lot of money in certain things. Okay. So generally, you don't want to bet on certain things that seem very sure but are dependent on credit. As an example, people have asked, like, have I owned a net net that went bad or something? Yes. Mm-hmm. I owned a net net with a catalyst. It was going to liquidate. And I lost like everything in it because this happened during the 2008 financial crisis. So there was plenty of credit available at the time I bought the net net. And it needed credit to go through the process of liquidating to sell off its inventory and stuff in an orderly fashion. Mm -hmm. However, credit seized up. You can't have an orderly liquidation. And instead, you end up with nothing for the shareholders and and a bit of a haircut probably for the people who had various kinds of debt and stuff in the stock. So that's how you can lose a ton of money. So buying into things that are involved in anything like that. Um, It can even be things like arbitrage and stuff. Those will go badly if you happen to – it's very dangerous to buy into arbitrage situations and stuff during a time of – loose credit Mm -hmm. because they may all fail together if credit tightens, which is most likely to happen. Um, So that's why you want to avoid those things. So you want to be very careful about things in which the margin of safety is less, anything that depends a lot on credit, stuff like that. You also want to remember that anything that depends on credit means that everyone doing the same thing, if they're borrowing to do it, will all stop doing it at the same time too. That's why I give the example of arbitrage. Mm -hmm. The results are much worse for arbitrage if you have credit seize up because everyone was using debt to buy into the same thing that you're doing. You're you're on the same side of the trade as everyone that's borrowing money. Mm -hmm. So everyone has to reverse it at the same time. So as it goes down, it's basically like a margin call, um, which is what happened in the, in the, um, thirties, which made it so bad Mm -hmm. is that there had to be deleveraging all through 29 to 32 because people had borrowed so much on credit. So then what about banks then and bank stocks? How does that relate to them? Well, um, like let's say if, if, you know, because you were talking about the worst thing you can do is buy a bad business when credit is loose, right? Right. So probably for them, it will happen later that you have to be worried. Probably not now. So what will happen is if credit is loose, we've talked to different banks and stuff. The problem that happens is that banks have, some banks have trouble making good loans. And they'll say, I've never had this experience before and stuff, but I've got way more deposits. This is what happens when credit conditions are loose. You have way more deposits than you can possibly lend out. And so at first, it's not necessarily a problem. Mm -hmm. They'll do things like keep it at the Fed and do other stuff that they'll buy certain securities and stuff that don't move around a lot. And but eventually they'll stop doing that. They'll all get impatient, just like investors get impatient and they'll start making bad loans. Sure. And so that usually happens a few years later. Um, But it is a a problem. Um, Usually right after a crisis is the time you're least worried. So like though we had very loose credit conditions after 2008, that's so scarred banks that it's not a problem. Mm -hmm. So and and even if they did bad things, they wouldn't do the same bad things that they just did. People very rarely make the exact same mistakes that hurt them just recently. They usually find new new ways to do that Mm -hmm. later. But it does affect some things. Like there were very bad car loans made, very, very bad car loans a few years ago. And I talked about that a little bit with like America's Car Mart or something, which I thought was a good business. 
But in the last three or four years, uh, really, um, some of the worst car loans that I ever saw made in the United States were made. Mm -hmm. And some of that is other entities entering the business that hadn't before and making them. But a lot of it is because of the difficulty of having um, the interest rates they wanted for shorter term stuff. So basically, people, institutions, all sorts of groups um, wanted to get kind of pretty decent yields without going out and owning debt that's due in 15 years or something. They want something that's due in five years or three years or whatever on average. And uh, the only way to do that was to go into more and more um, questionable subprime type car loans. Mm -hmm. So that's the sort of thing that they do. Banks, same way. Over time, they will make dumber and dumber decisions, which is usually what happens if they have too many deposits and not enough smart things to do. But not a problem now, likely, because unlike in the stock market, banks are very aware that their borrowers are stressed. Mm -hmm. Like they're very close to their borrowers. Sure. And so they have a very good understanding of how stressed their borrowers are and the problems that that creates for them. So although they know that for the good of the country and their regulators encouraging them and whatever to do things to be loose about things, in reality what they're doing, as you've seen, is like lowering limits on credit cards, not letting you take out home equity loans, doing everything they can to tighten up so that's what I mean as an example is that so is credit loose or tight in those cases. For the financial market, it's loose, right? Yeah. But if, but if you're a business owner or something, you now can't borrow against your home equity loan, which you could do normally, borrow against your home. But now you're less likely to be able to do that because of conditions that are affecting all businesses you know, at the same time. Whereas normally, if only your business was in trouble, it would be easier for you to access credit. Uh-huh. Let's talk about what the cruise ships uh, or like the cruise industry has done through the sort of this whole pandemic, this whole episode, okay. right? So the stocks obviously get smoked. They, um, there's a lot of talk of potentially becoming insolvent. It's a very capital intensive industry, mm-hmm. right? So what did a lot of them do? They draw, they drew down on their credit, right? A lot of them probably took out more debt, right? And I think most of them issued equity mm-hmm. as a form of getting cash. Yep. I mean, what are your thoughts on like that and how that relates to credit being loose or tight? I mean, companies use, I mean, even we could talk about like Dave and Buster's, for example, and pretty much every company in the theme park industry, I think has, um, everyone drew down on their credit lines right. and probably issued some form of capital, whether that was through at or equity or debt. Um, I mean, what are your views on companies using equity to do that? Now, I know that doesn't have much to do with credit, but what are your thoughts well, on that? We, we should point that out too. Uh, to be fair, like it really is the same thing. Take venture capital and stuff. Yeah. It's really the same thing if you're providing equity or credit. So if conditions are favorable for doing IPOs and stuff, which tend to be at the same time as credit, in, in today's modern markets, not back in the 20s and stuff, but in today's markets, that tends to also have much the same effect. Mm-hmm. So you overbuilt railroads and stuff uh, many years ago because of the ability to issue bonds going back 150 years. Right? Yeah. But then, uh, then at the end of the 1900s, instead of the middle of the 1850s and uh, the 1800s, um, you now have like technology and stuff that got overbuilt by issuing stock. So you can do it either way, mm-hmm. right? Um, I think one, the cruise industry, you can see the benefits of being big. <laughs> and that was the benefit of seeing the Great Depression and stuff. Because of the access to easy. the credit? Yes. Yeah. You can have constant access to the credit. You're rated by all the credit rating agencies. You had bonds out for things. Um, also, governments would want to bail you out uh to be honest uh like if 
if actually there were problems with cruise ships canceling orders for everything, or cruise companies canceling orders for everything, that would not harm the United States, let's say a lot, but it would be very harmful to certain cities and places in Europe and stuff. So they would want to incur, you know, I'm sure they would like suggest to the United States, maybe you can figure something out mm-hmm. uh, because I don't want to have to deal with the fact that in this, um, in my province and, France or Germany or wherever. Um, this is a major employer, just like Boeing is, you know, with the United States and stuff. So um, you have an advantage to that. You also, with those, have the issue that um, is tricky, but I've talked about it a little bit. So there's two kinds of things that generally mean you can have easier access to credit. Uh, one, I mean, so one, you can have easy access to credit is the most basic one, which is that you don't need it. Mm-hmm. You have plenty of free cash. Sure. It. Yeah. So that's the most common one, but then you don't need it. So it doesn't usually matter. Yeah. So anyone can borrow very large amounts to do it. I mean, if you want to do an LBO or something, you can do it. If so, like a theme park or something normally doesn't need money. So it can borrow very freely. Mm-hmm. Now, now they can't so much, but normally they could. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like credit isn't looser for theme parks than it would normally be. It would be incredibly loose normally. They're easy to LBO and stuff. Um, but the other two things are very high quality assets, very marketable assets, and then very liquid assets. It's very easy to borrow against very liquid assets. So the thing with like cruise ships and stuff that makes it interesting, tricky, depending on credit conditions, is they have very, like Carnival is a good example. Carnival, more so than the other companies, had very solid assets to borrow against. It had borrowed very little against the actual value of its tangible assets in terms of ships, mm-hmm. which are really good assets, uh, cruise ships to have. Why is that? Um, well, they're generally not that old. They're very productive. They can be moved anywhere. And, um, there are a few companies that would be happy to buy them. Not a lot, but a few. Yeah. Cause that's what I was going to ask. Right. So let's say they have to seize this massive, you know, cruise right. ship. That probably means that the cruise industry has been hit incredibly hard. So they haven't yes. been able to pay. They default on their covenants, debt, et cetera, whatever. It has very little value for bondholders. So like, I mean, it's not impossible if it's bought at a deep discount or something. Mm-hmm. But um, Ben Graham talked about this. Historically, people did put a lot of value on the idea of having tangible property behind things. However, in reality, it's turned out that having cash flows is more important. Still, cruise ships as compared to other forms of um, capital you could have behind something as a as to have as collateral are particularly good collateral um, because they can be moved anywhere in the world that you need them mm-hmm. and um, the, the issue is like if there's an oversupply in the industry or something like that now obviously the collateral is not any good right now um, if you can't operate the the uh, cruise ships sure. and stuff like that but so that does tend to happen no matter what but that tends to happen in all industries like being able to foreclose on a tanker and an oil tanker or something isn't a great value at the moment that you can do it because usually if you could do it the reason why you are foreclosing on why i got to that situation is because the market's so bad that no one's paying anything yeah. to to um charter them and stuff so yeah that's a problem in any industry that way but I mean, it's even a problem in houses and things. You foreclose on them and they are significantly less valued than they were last year. So when talking about investing in these bad businesses in the form of when there is incredibly loose credit, let's talk about airlines, for example. Okay. A lot of people assume or they don't separate the two between what's a good business and a stock price mm-hmm. just going up. Right. Well, this is actually a thing to bring up because I've never had this happen before in my life. I've gotten a ton of questions about bankrupt companies. Stocks. So, so these are the common stocks, which is the most junior security. Um, it's at the very end of the line. 
of companies which have said that they are filing for bankruptcy protection. So these are companies that want a court to sort things out between their creditors and stuff to come up with some sort of plan for them to be able to pay their debts because otherwise they wouldn't be able to pay everyone off fully as these debts came due and stuff. And of course, they first tried usually to raise money some other way to talk to them outside of court and things like that. Um, and yet people are interested in these stocks, the stocks and by bankrupt companies. Yeah. So the stocks are almost always worth nothing. So the expected value is nothing. So like, as an example, if you bought a lottery ticket, a lottery ticket has an expected value. It might be like 20 cents for every dollar you put into it. Right. But a bankrupt stock normally does not have that. It's actually worse than buying a lottery ticket. And so I'm very surprised when people ask me questions about these stocks. Mm-hmm. Um, now, people point out there are examples of stocks which have filed for bankruptcy and yet have not been wiped out entirely. Mm-hmm. That, that does happen sometimes. And there are stocks that have done. And then there's, but they're very weird examples of things. So I can even think of a couple examples of companies that didn't even need cash put into them and stuff through mm-hmm. the bankruptcy proceedings. But normally, those things are very particular to like, a huge judgment against them, a legal judgment that they can't possibly pay um, or environmental stuff, you know, that like a legacy liability that's going to be way too burdensome or something like that. It, it is so usually not that the business model was unable to succeed during these times and stuff. And as you've seen, if you in other businesses, whether it's restaurants or um, cruise ships or whatever, that had no revenue coming in, they were able to access markets and get money. Mm -hmm. If it hadn't been believed that you couldn't, I mean, if if people believe that this was a perfectly temporary issue with these companies that are in bankruptcy now, Mm -hmm. they would have been able to access credit on some terms, even if it was like a very senior security thing and they were putting up money for a short period of time and getting it out first and whatever, but they would have worked out something. Certainly creditors and stuff don't decide, oh, I think bankruptcy is the best way for me to get paid off a hundred cents on the dollar. Mm -hmm. That's, that makes the most sense for me if this is an otherwise viable business. Mm -hmm. So there's something very wrong with it. Um, and many of these companies already had issues with them before they went into bankruptcy, uh, before they went to COVID, I should say. And um, yet I get lots lots of questions from people. Some people baffled by it, but other people just like interested in it. And I don't understand the speculation in bankrupt stocks. I've never seen anything like this before. Mm-hmm. Well, it's kind of like the whole Hertz thing. And they're issuing, you know, the stock ran to whatever it did. And Vetla and I talked about it on the rundown. And then I think the day after or two days after they issued, they announced that they were going to do an at the market offering pretty much to pay back their debt or, or help to support the debt. And basically right. saying all the equity holders are going to get wiped out essentially. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. So one way to evaluate things in terms of the, a debt, this has nothing to do with, uh, stockholders and that's what we talk about all the time but a a good way of doing it and a way that i would look at it is um if you're a more junior part of a capital structure you look at the market value of the uh i mean sorry if you're a more senior part of the capital structure you look at uh, the market value of more junior parts of the capital structure so in other words if you look at a bond and uh, a company has out one bond let's say and it has common stock and the bond is selling for um uh, a small amount of money right Mm -hmm. and yet the stock is that has this tremendous market cap, right? You figure that no matter what, you're fairly well protected by the fact that the market is assigning a huge value to something that can only be worth anything if you first are worth 
everything you're supposed to be worth. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that is a very common way of doing it. It's probably statistically one of the best ways is by saying, okay, so if you, if you own debt in Hertz or something, if there's a huge market value placed on the common stock, then you figure, well, I'm more likely to get paid off here. If only literally, like in the case you're talking about that, they could issue stock. Yeah. Um, but that's baffling from the perspective of something that I, I just feel like isn't paying attention to what's ahead of it in terms of being paid, in terms of that being paid. Um, when I talked about a preferred stock and stuff as an example where I said there's a preferred stock I should have bought, the common stock value, uh, the, the market cap, was huge compared to the value of the preferred stock. A preferred stock is senior to a common stock. So the common stock can only collect dividend if the preferred stock paid a dividend. Um, so in other words, did I think they were going to pass on the preferred stock uh, if the common stock was worth tens of billions of dollars or whatever. Mm-hmm. No, I thought it was probably pretty good. So in essence, the market is telling you that if they're putting any value on the common stock, then the preferred is going to get, um, is going to mature at its face value and is going to be paid all the dividends it's supposed to be all that time too. So I can see why like debt would react to having these absurd uh, valuations in the common stock. The likely explanation, of course, is that these are, which is what happened in like 20s and stuff, low price stocks low priced in the sense of the Dollar price low. of the yeah. stock is low not in the sense that the market cap is small mm-hmm. um and you know we would say generally that's irrelevant and stuff but i don't understand it and I, I guess it's it's also a different kind of person participating in the market i don't know why it's happening obviously i mean there could be reasons the biggest reason could literally be covid that well people, people are, are at home right are at home and people can't and sports aren't going on yeah and all you hear about in the news is stocks going up Look at all these companies that are running like crazy. They're all dollar, two, three, four, five dollars, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's almost like becoming a self fulfilling thing when companies announce bankruptcy, they just start to shoot up because everybody piles in, right? Look at a company like Chesapeake or Hertz or mm-hmm. all these other ones. It's like they announce bankruptcy and then the stocks start to run and it really becomes like a greater fool game, right? Who's the last one to get off of the train? So I wonder if people are reaching out to you because the stock just continued to go up. That's why they're reaching out. All this fascination with companies that are announcing bankruptcy. Yeah. Virtually saying that they're going to be worthless and they're interested in buying it. I mean, are they reaching out to you as like a distressed investment or what are they trying what are they trying to get out of you? Yeah, it's going up, so they figure it must be worth a lot. Yeah. But I should point out sometimes it's very clear it's not worth anything. Uh that's I well, mean, how do you distinguish that? What well, is that? Well, I'll give you an example. Yeah. I looked at a stock one time. It's not one of these. Uh, it traded at a positive value. An agreement was in place that over a certain amount, which was only going to be enough for it to pay off its creditors, um, the value had to go to the company that acquired it prior to bankruptcy. So it was basically acquired by someone prior to bankruptcy. Its assets were acquired, it, like its factories and stuff. Mm-hmm. But the name and stuff of the company stayed behind, and it still had claims against other companies. Now, I looked at it and went, wow, there's a really good chance they could win this case and win it at a large amount of money. But I also read, <laughs> clearly by reading the documents, you know, that they had agreed that all of that above that went to the acquirer. Mm. So people were buying a stock in which there was literally, legally, no way in which they could collect money above that. Now, maybe they were thinking, okay, once they get that money, then they can have another lawsuit to try to undo that agreement or, mm-hmm. or whatever. But literally, they were buying stock. Now, it wasn't a huge amount, but it was something that was valued in you know, as big as some actual legitimate OTC companies, okay? So we're talking very small, nanocap stock. But people were speculating and buying it. There was an active market for it. You could buy and sell the stock each day for a stock that literally was telling you it had to be worth nothing because it had promised to pay everything above what it owed people Mm -hmm. um, to its acquirer. It was not 
you could not be paid to this company, to its shareholders. Yeah. And yet they were the shareholders. And this went on for years, this company, because the court case was still going on. It's not like the company was delisted or, I mean, it wasn't ever listed, but so it wasn't like the company stopped trading over the counter. People were still buying and selling the stock. So there was still a speculative market in it for years and a stock that to me, the way I read it, there was no way it could ever pay a one, one millionth of a cent. It wasn't allowed to. So what happened? Uh, I, to this day, the court case hasn't been decided. Really? Yeah. I yeah. will sort of been decided, but it's on appeal. But I just wonder if it becomes like a trading vehicle. Yes, that's all it is. That's all it is. And I don't people. understand if it's just a trading vehicle of whether they buy and sell it that way. Or in that case, I think legitimately a lot of people may have known of the court case, but not known of this other part to it and stuff. So mm-hmm. there may have been actual investors in it. Um, but it's a thing that strikes me as very, very weird because it, it's like when we, there's, I don't know. It's like when we talk about um, inverse short things and stuff. Yeah. We're talking about vehicles, which if you hold long enough should be worthless. So, I mean, this is speculation in a way that's unlike anything else. The The value is expected to be nothing eventually. Mm-hmm. Now, there could be weird exceptions. And maybe if the stock goes up and then you're able to issue stock and then whatever. I'm not saying it can. it's entirely impossible that all common stocks can never have any of their value. But in general, we're talking about the emails that I get. I'm a little familiar with some of the companies. So the emails I get are generally about stocks, which I expect to have no value. So that is so much worse than any form of, um, I don't know. It's worse than most forms of gambling. I wonder what's your sentiment check like? Because I said on the rundown with Valo the other day, I did not invest through the, the, you know, the tech boom. Okay. I was like five years old. <laughs> this is you the closest did. to anything like that. Although bizarre in the cynicism of this one. Can I, can I tell you though yeah. my thoughts really quick? So we had this bull market off of 2008. Mm-hmm. I've been following the markets, you know, through that whole period. This whole time, stocks continue to go up, interest rates continue to go down. Right. It's the longest bull market in history. Some people say, oh, it's a bubble. Some people don't. Some people say, oh, it's overvalued. Some people say it right. doesn't, it's not overvalued, whatever. 2020 is the most bubble-like conditions I personally have ever felt, just from like mm-hmm. sentiment, just from stocks, just with people involved, price action, everything. The sort of distortion from you know reality, I guess you could say, the Fed's interaction, mm-hmm. just people's general you know, view of the market from studying past quote-unquote bubbles. Yeah. 2020 is the most I've ever felt it in my career. Yeah. So I don't know, but compared to you that has invested through the tech boom through 2008, you know, for the past, you know, 20 something years. I mean, what's your sentiment check? It's closer to the tech boom than it is to 2008 in some respects. Okay. The main respects are the extent to which individual people are basically gambling. And then individual people are interested in the stock market and some things like that. That was very 1990s. Mm -hmm. That was a very interesting period. And, um, not in general, there's been much less of that um, throughout the 2000s. I uh, want to read you this text. Okay. I've been getting, I, I don't know if you, you, I mean, Jeff doesn't have a phone, so I'm sure you're not getting text messages like this. I've been getting all these screenshots. I'm going to read you these tickers. GNUS is a stock somebody was, that by the way, has never invested, never traded, nothing. Okay. Since COVID has happened, this is what he's been doing, right? right? The stock was $4. A different company, he's been, he was buying BIOC 69 cents. Uh, another one, N-O-V-N, 81 cents. He says, smiley face, smiley face, because he's making money on all these you know, penny stocks, mm-hmm. whatever. Going to transfer to another platform after this week and maybe start doing some bigger moves. I'm starting to get a lot of text messages like this. And right. I'm starting to hear a lot of more chatter like this. And you know, in the past 10 years, for example, or 
you know, 12 years, I guess, um, you know, since 08 or whatever, a lot of people are like, oh, we're, we're highly valued, blah, blah, blah. Now, yes, we could be overvalued based on a bunch of different metrics, but there's this sort of chatter where it's like stocks only go up, you know, buy everything, it only goes up. So I feel like it's truly like, the the sentiment is shifted from okay things could be a little bit more pricey to yeah things are pretty pricey but now people are gambling like crazy yeah and that it has a similarity to uh, the 1990s and to no other period that I know of uh, in between so even though things were expensive at times or cheaper at times there's not never been anything like that in terms of these are such poor companies I mean when we talk about bankrupt companies and stuff people are speculating in the very very worst stuff and that tends to be your bubble type things. That is when we compare things to the 20s and stuff like that, in which people buy things that are just very low quality. And you may have seen a little bit of that in IPO stuff, in like venture capital IPO stuff, some of stuff that never even came public, but that was valued in certain ways and stuff yeah. before in this cycle, but not in public markets, in secondary markets that for season stocks that were trading for a while. That's the thing that is different and is... Um, Similar to, yeah, that's what I remember, the 1990s and stuff. And I looked up those companies. And by the way, they're all penny stocks. And, you know, some companies are less than $5 and are legitimate companies. Mm -hmm. All those are trash companies. I mean, like, you know, biotech, raise a bunch of equity. Right. The price of the stock, blah, blah, blah. The price of stock doesn't matter. We buy penny stocks and stuff um, or stocks that, I don't know, they may have exemptions. So yeah. Not count as many stocks and stuff, but um, st stocks with low stock prices. Legitimate companies. Yeah. Though. yeah. But it's the question whether they have a legitimate business or not. Yeah. There are, there are some very big companies that were never, I mean, in the 1990s, there were some huge companies that were never a real business. Um, and that's the kind of thing that you see now. I mm -hmm. mean, it's basically like day trading type stuff. Is yeah. What we're talking about. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that can happen because of credit condition stuff. Um, you know, it can't, it, that part of things doesn't, yeah. it doesn't that part doesn't usually last for very long mm. so the high valuation thing that can last for a long time yeah but the kind of thing that you're talking about doesn't tend to but that was a big case about why stocks might not go down for a while and i would agree with in the past is that people said is this like other times that like when things were expensive and i would say no in terms of people's behavior like mm -hmm. no it was nothing like the 1990s no it was nothing like it wasn't even like certain times and periods if you read back about the 60s and stuff it did not have that level of speculative um insanity of things and now at least when i get things about bankrupt companies and stuff it does have that weird element of it in penny stocks and things we're talking about yeah mm -hmm. yeah just it's interesting i mean 2020 has been sort of the most fascinating time in markets since i've been involved mm -hmm. quite honestly where's that yeah. stack up for you yeah, it's the most interesting, yeah. Yeah, crazy, crazy. I mean, we'll see if the 20s, you know, the roaring 20s now means 2020 or is it, <laughs> yeah. you know, more of the early 2000s. Anyways, I want to thank everybody so much for tuning in with Jeff and myself on the Focus Compounding Podcast. If you want to help support what we're doing, uh, you can do so simply by hitting that subscribe button if you're watching on YouTube or hit that subscribe button if you're listening on the iTunes podcast. I want to thank everybody so much for tuning in with Jeff. Thank you so much for the support, Jeff and Andrew. And we will see you in the next podcast. <laughs>